Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Testers Island Discs. Uh, today is episode number 37, and for this episode, I'm joined by Louise Woodhams. Uh, Louise works for uh, Cubix, Cubix, but they're now called PSI, so it doesn't really matter if I get that name right <laughs> or wrong anymore, um, for just over four years. Um, so welcome, Louise. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Um, I've so, actually been there for seven years, but I've been a QA for four years, but... Yeah. Okay, so what were, you, what were you doing before that? I was on the support team. I was I joined as a uh, first-line support person, knowing uh, nothing about IT. And, yeah, it was great. Great learning curve. <laughs> that that that's, tends to be sort of one of the more common paths that mm. I think people get into testing. Like, nobody, nobody ever sets out to be a tester, but um, we all fall into it. But that does seem to be one of the ones where, like, people come from that sort of support space and then and then move into testing as well um yeah and typically from like a background of not really having much experience with it as well yeah it was more that um well when i joined they didn't have a testing team and uh four and a half years ago i didn't know what a tester was but it turns out i was doing it anyway because <laughs> um, um i just anytime i was bored on the support queue i just picked something out of the dev team emails and tried to find out if that was someone being a bit dim or there was actually something broken because i really like breaking things or trying to find stuff that's broken but i also <laughs> want to know why it's broken it's part of my problem solving like kind of like oh there's a crime here well not possibly crime but the kind of i like to know how i like to break things but i also know want to know why they're broken at the end or how they get fixed um yeah so yeah it's the being curious i think yeah so having the mindset first and that sort of puts you in in the right space towards uh towards a career in testing which yeah. i think we're going to talk about a little bit later yeah. and i think it's yeah. going to be an interesting discussion um <laughs> so so yeah so a tester for four years um how have you like how have you found it so far like i assume you're still enjoying it you yeah. would be on a testing podcast if not. <laughs> no, um, well, um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, we're a quite small company. Uh, well, not now. Now we've been bought, but it's still um, a small team. So there's always different types of testing to learn, and it's such a there's so many different types of testing to learn. And um, every job, well, I've only had two, well, three jobs technically. Um, I kind of always want to be in a position where I know everything so i don't have to ask people for help <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is difficult in testing because yeah. there is so many different types of testing um but yeah um i'd learn our product really well um and because i had to support people how to use it and you can't support people how to use it if you don't know how to use it yourself um and from that that product knowledge was easy to transfer into the testing team because i knew how the system was supposed to work so um if they change something on it um, I could poke it to check it still did the thing it was supposed to, basically. Yeah. And that's, you, yeah. You've got the, uh, the nice testers dichotomy there of wanting to always know how everything works, but always being perpetually in a state of not knowing how anything works. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Just constantly, constantly catching up. It's great um, for my imposter syndrome, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. So yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit actually about imposter syndrome afterwards. But obviously, yeah. we have uh, you're here to share your five 
favorite tracks or five yep. tracks that you pick out that are notable to go to the to the desert island so um why don't you tell us about track number one okay so track number one is a song by perfect circle um i think most people are more familiar with tool rather than perfect circle um they're one of my favorite bands um this is my favorite song by them um because i think within the first sentence it's got the word topography um there are total nerd for fancy words which i very much enjoy i'm i love lyrics and songs are one of the things that are just my favorite thing a decent structure that's got a good middle beginning and end and decent lyrics is usually where i sit so it's from the second album which is called 13th step which is in a reference to the aa 12-step program and the 13th step is obviously where you go right back to the beginning at the end um, and each of their songs are a little bit about different kinds of addiction and this just really interesting. The lyrics are all really cool and all of them. I, yeah, I just think they're really, they're a really weird band. Um, I went to see them last year with my manager, actually, my, my testing manager who got me into this job in the first place. Um, and there's just a really weird gig. <laughs> um, there's no photography, no recording or any point. The guy who was the lead singer was just sitting at the back, um, singing from the back in the dark in what looked like a velvet suit, which is not a great idea in the weather it was. It was winter, but it was like, that's going to be sweaty by the end of it. <laughs> and then at the end, he was like, yeah, you guys can take pictures and everything. But he'd gone off the stage at that point and was singing behind the curtain. Yeah, right. he's, he's a strange front man. Um, yes, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello to everything you've left behind. That was The Nurse Who Loved Me by Perfect Circle. So you touched on imposter syndrome there. And I think anyone starting off, I think in any career, probably faces it a bit. Is that kind of what you were hinting at? Uh, I, I just have imposter syndrome in how I exist. It's part of why I end up trying to learn um, anything I'm learning as much as possible so I don't have to ask for help because if you don't ask for help then you seem to know what you're doing sort of thing I even was having imposter syndrome about doing a bit of a podcast on imposter syndrome because I didn't feel my imposter syndrome was good enough <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun um but I find the it's kind of I use it to my advantage as much as it is a pain in the ass um like getting a uh, push it pushes me through to just get on with stuff sometimes because mm -hmm. um, at least I'm being productive um, and getting, getting down with the sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was an appropriate thing to add into there. I um, feel there's going to be a lot of like late no 90s, early 90s <laughs> references to bands yes. for this podcast. Isn't Showing it? my age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I always try and do something that terrifies me or I always end up in a position where I'm doing something that terrifies me. Um, maybe it's because I work for a small company. So it's like, oh, this thing needs testing. You know how to do that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but also where I got my product knowledge as well, I've ended up like testing consultants, uh, training consultants on how to, to do things as well. Hmm. Um, um, but it's like, because I know the system really well from a technical point of view, that yeah. knowledge needs to be transferred. But standing in front of 15 consultants who 
do presentations for a living and when you see their slide deck they have no notes and my slide deck is all notes <laughs> yeah I, I asked one of them it's like why have you not got any notes it's like we just wing it and i was like you do what <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> so i think it's interesting how you're talking about imposter syndrome as as a force for good or like a tool in your toolbox because typically when it is obviously talked about it's talked about in a very sort of negative manner bad way yeah and and it's it's a case of how it how it can affect your your own sort of perceptions of yourself and your own mental health which i think i don't think we're dismissing that um no 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 idea yeah but like how do you like how do you manage it how do you hone it so that you can use it for like a force for good and not end up using it to sort of beat yourself in the stick well, what I normally, I have something I've started to refer to as um, the stages of test testing grief. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you pick something up and you go, I, I don't know what this is, but you've got a deadline, you've got to get it done. Um, you've got all the documents that apparently you need um, attached to the PBI or the story that you're looking at. And I feel that sometimes when it's just really complicated, it's something that's come from maybe our psych team. So it's got crazy scoring on it and... I'm not a psychometrician or can do maths. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so I look at it and go, what? This can't be as complicated as it looks. And it's like, oh, God, this is making me so angry. Why does this not make sense? Ah. And it's like, oh, God, I'm so stupid. Ah, why can't I get this? And then you get to the end of it after looking at it for a day and you go, oh, oh, it's just this. Oh, that's fine. I can do that. And then you find mm. a bug and everything's better again. Um, but that ends up in a loop sometimes um, with yeah. imposter syndrome where you think you're terrible what you're doing and then you find a bug and it's great. And then um, you go, yeah, it just gets around in circles. Testing can be a very kind of uh, reward moving the goalpost process because it's like you've once you finish an item, you just move on to another one that can also put you back to feeling a bit stupid. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I guess there's like, kind of reminds me of, uh, I think it was James Bark would talk about the idea of like spelunking or just diving in. Yeah. There's a case of sort of that's, that's the way to break the cycle. You just got to go in, do something, and then, you know, set those initial goalposts, as, as you put it. And then, like, from, from those boundaries, you can start sort of inching things and finding out stuff. Yeah, I think it was because I went to Test Bass last year and uh, Mike Smith did a talk on owning your craft where he was, um, where he had to learn microservices basically and not mm. knowing what they were. Just was like, yeah, sure, I'll test that. And that's that's kind of what I, I'm doing at the moment. Like we had some APIs, which we're going to talk about later. I didn't know what an API is. I probably didn't know what an API is for most of the time I was testing it, but school with it yeah <laughs> learning on the job is is good um, for your imposter syndrome but also bad for your imposter syndrome it's it's a little bit of a fun loop do you do you try and rely on others as well to sort of help you get out of that groove or like uh, uh, get out of that sort of critical cycle yeah i have a very supportive manager and a very supportive team um part of the, the developers that built the API are very much like, I'm like, what does this mean? You've written it in dev speak. Tell me what this means. <laughs> um, yeah. And it also helps that I know the system it's connected to off by heart as well. So it's like, well, how does that translate into, uh, kind of tell me how it translates into how I'd normally use something. So if this is a schedule, what is this in the API and vice versa sort of thing? How does it compare? So if I have a reference, I find it, 
in context, it's easier for me to test something, even if I don't know what I'm looking at. Right. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So you're sort of combining your own, your own context with their context and then just trying to find some sort of happy medium between the two. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. um, yeah, I normally make up some weird thing that has nothing to do with anything to help me remember what it is. I can't think of any of them offhand, which is really annoying, but, um, it's, it's usually just something silly and it's like, Oh, okay. That's that thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. It's, uh, it's that sort of translation of having having those models in your head, having mm. that information in your head, but then also working out a, a device that kind of almost translates it so that when it, you know, if whatever way it's communicated, either verbally or otherwise, then, you know, it's clear that you're using the right terms for other people, but you can still be, um, it, can, it can still be some nonsense made up phrase or word or image in your head. Um, it's sort of, yeah, kind of striking that, like I said, striking that balance between the other people as well. Yeah, um, and sometimes you get a little bit bogged down with dev speak when um, yeah, they're not as good as translating. Obviously, as testers, we end up sitting in the middle a lot of the time translating mm. between teams. Um, we kind of end up partly project managing as well, kind of, where we've gone, well, this thing needs this thing. Because um, teams aren't, dev teams are not always great at talking to each other, but because we both go to both stand-ups or are involved in both sets of boards, we can go, hey, those guys need to know about that and you need to know about this sort of thing. And we end mm. up being the translators anyway. So we're sort of used to having to translate stuff that doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're basically the Scylla Blacks of IT teams. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully without the terrifying hair, but who knows? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, I think it's a good time to maybe just take a pause and talk about song pick number two. So why don't you tell me a bit about that one? So it's Real Big Fish's song, uh, You Don't Know, uh, which I first came across this when I was about 13. Um, on their, They had a compilation album at this time that was called Favourite Noise. Um, I love every song on that album. It's so happy while being furious, um, which I really enjoy. They're just so cheerful and angry and this song is so sweary. Um, I um, one of the other bands I've seen live um, in a tiny local venue um, called the Boiler Room in Guildford and um, it was so warm it was a fantastic evening everyone was like sweaty and shouty and me and my friend found a melon in the bathroom <laughs> which was a very entertaining antidote for the evening because we were obviously quite drunk and on scar and too much booze um and it was just it was just a really good summer evening um, and a really fun gig and they're so much fun they were great to see live <laughs> <laughs> and they're a ludicrous band but i love them they're just so shouty and but while being really happy and scary and preppy it's really it's just such a good combo so don't waste my time I don't need your opinion Oh, fuck, fuck Cause you don't know what it's like You don't know what it's like You don't know what it's like To be like me You don't know So keep your mouth shut That was You Don't Know by uh, Real Big Fish. So how do you find, like, at the moment we're recording this, we're obviously well and truly in the middle of lockdown. 
hopefully yep. near the end. Um, who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, so how do you manage both that whole imposter syndrome aspects and stuff and reaching out to others, um, but also like how are you coping with the whole sort of working in a remote context and stuff? Is it, is it something new for you in general? Yep. Um, so before this, I think I'd worked from home like two days in a row, possibly. Um, and I'm slightly convinced that if I'd spent too much time working remotely, I'd go a bit weird. Mm. Um, and I probably may have gone a bit weird if I wasn't always working. I'm working remotely with my husband as well. So norm, we work together in a normal context. So our desks are normally about a meter apart. And now they're like uh, about five inches apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're just sitting slightly closer together. Um, and that works quite well for us. Um, but yeah, um, so, but if I was working remotely by myself, I might've gone a bit strange. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's, um, I feel much more productive. Um, I kind of want to be, I'm one of those people that now want to be remote forever. Um, Mm. I know there's quite a few introverts that are like really enjoying it and are never considering going back in the office ever again. And other people are like, no, please, please let me go back. I miss the people. (laughs) As a self-confessed, um, extrovert, I enjoy remote working as well. Um, because, I think sometimes actually you probably end up speaking to people more sometimes because you, there's a necessity. You have to use tools to communicate with people. You know, it's that, that, that classic thing of if, if, if all the tools or all the riches are laid out in front of you, you'll never take advantage of them. But when they become a finite resource and there's a finite amount of time and only specific channels in which you can communicate, you tend to leverage them more as well. So actually it kind of, for me, it scratches my extra itch as well. Yeah, it's, uh, well, a lot of us, because we're an IT team, we're always just talking on Teams anyway. Even if we were sitting a metre from each other, we were just talking on Teams because mm. we can type a lot faster than we can speak. Um, <laughs> and, yes, and you can, um, you know, correct your typing. Um, but you're less <laughs> likely to put your foot in your mouth with your typing as well. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It seems to be concerning more of the kind of the people that used to come up to people and ask for help. It's kind of been a little bit more complicated for them, I think, because um, now they can't just go over and tap someone in the shoulder. They just they message you and are kind of like, oh, are you busy? And I was kind of, well, yes, but I can read now. It's, they kind of leave everything yeah. up to the last minute to say, hi, I need something. It's like you could have. You could message me and I'll, yeah, it's finding the right balance of communication, basically. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely realigns it. Mm. That's, that's probably the way to put it. How do you find, like say you work with your husband, uh, the same company, like how do you find disconnecting from work? Like is it is it harder because you're both working in the same context or do you have boundaries set or anything like that? Uh, we both kind of just quite happy to talk about work quite a lot. Um, mm. Just, yeah, it's just kind of comfortable because we, I find that we kind of get more creative about work when we're not actually doing the work. So when we talk through something that maybe I'm testing or he's building, um, I find it easier when we're not, where there isn't the time pressure of I've got to get this thing done now. It's just maybe like a half an hour conversation we have in the evening during dinner where creativity kind of like strikes and you go, mm. oh, I could have done that. Or he's like, oh, yeah, no, you make a good point sort of thing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, and these, we, I don't ever feel like maybe we probably talk about work more than most people do. Um, but because we work for the same company, it's kind of easy to slip into that, but not in a bad work-life balance way. Yeah, 
Oh, that's, that's, that's good to know because like, I know it, it was something like when I first started uh, working from home, I um, and I've been remote working for now, God, I'd say four or five years, but it, it took a took a while to sort of learn how to disconnect um, from work and actually be like, no, I am now at home, chilling out at <laughs> home. I am not doing work. It is a little bit harder in this context, obviously, because um, my sofa's like a five, like a metre away from me. I could literally just stand up and flip over and be on my sofa. It's the trying to remember that you can just stop sometimes. Um, yes. It's a little bit difficult, yeah. especially when you've got deadlines and all oh, this something you're looking at that's really interesting. Um, the stuff I'm testing at the moment, I'm finding really interesting. So it's kind of a bit hard to go, oh, do I really have to finish? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like the, the, the time flies by and then before you know it, you know, the sun's down and stuff. So one of the advantages of having a small child that you have to feed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're very insistent on being fed three times a day. It's ridiculous. Traditionally, yes. Yeah. I mean, I can barely look after house plants. So, um, yeah. um, although I believe you were saying, like when we when we met up before this recording, you do you are managing other people, so you you do have some people to take care of. Yes. Yeah. I've been managing uh, since I've managed for about two years now, um, and I gained another report uh, about a month ago. Because um, our team got bigger, um, one of the junior members I am now managing as well, um, and my manager's managing two other people from different teams. It's got a little bit messy in the org chart, but yeah. yeah. Um, so that's interesting because they've um, they've I've only managing one person before. Um, I basically said IT is traditionally. Um, not great at wanting to manage they don't really want to manage people so I was like oh I'll try um, mm. I'll have a go I'll see what that's like I've got a really good manager so and he uh, manages me that may that I kind of want to be managed I don't really feel like I need one but he's there if I need someone to right. rant at or something um, and my first report was quite a bit like that um, and it's still like that he just gets on with it and he's great and fantastic at his job um, my new report's um, a junior and she's she's really, really good. She doesn't realise how good she is. So they've both got a bit of imposter syndrome going on. Um, so it's interesting watching other people's imposter syndrome hmm. while, you're, while you're managing them with imposter syndrome. <laughs> gets, gets a little bit, um, yeah. It's very meta, isn't it? Yes. I always try a little bit of meta because um, while I'm testing, I quite like to listen to testing podcasts. I'm more absorbing the testing podcast by osmosis by listening to it and testing at the same time. Oh, that's yes. awesome. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, I hope that uh, we are on your testing podcast list. Yeah, you guys. Oh. And um, uh, I'm, Alan Page was at Test Bash like two years ago. And um, yeah. I loved his talk on modern testing. I've been listening to their podcast since. Actually, in his talk in modern testing, you can hear me shouting about having a Windows phone, um, <laughs> which, which, which got me a, a round of applause, which was quite funny. I think that's probably out of pity. You know, I don't have a Windows mm. phone anymore, but I was one of those people. Yeah, I have, yeah I we know those Windows type. Phones. Yeah. I had four of them. They were great. <laughs> Crikey. You and Dan Ashby would get on very well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Right. Well, uh, I think that's a good point to talk about song pick number three. So why don't you tell us about that? Okay. Uh, so my, I'm going to, it's got French in, so I'm going to say this wrong. Um, my third song pick is um, Regina Spector um, and her song Après Moi. 
um, which is from her fourth album. Um, so this song has both French and Russian in. Um, she's got songs with Latin in. Um, she's always like mucking about with uh, different kind of like pitches and bashing the crap out of pianos because she has the tiniest hands. How she manages to stretch an octave, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, she's just... I really love her stuff. It's a little bit twee, and um, I think her she's labelled as her her genre is labelled as like anti folk, which I also really enjoy. Um, and I haven't seen her live. I would love to see her live, um, mostly because she's one of the only few um, artists who I really one of my favourite favourite songs by her is called Aquarius, which there only is a live version, and it's just beautiful because um, it, it just. It, encapsulates so many emotions about star signs which are bollocks but um i am an aquarius as much as star signs are bollocks i am a typical aquarius <laughs> um while hating that at the same time which is very aquarius <laughs> and um this song yeah has a bunch of french in has a whole chunk of russian poetry at the end of it and um i think the original quote is uh, après um, moi la deluge which after me comes the flood um, which I actually looked up before this, which is attributed to Madame de Pompadour, which sort of links to my testing kind of bit as well, because our long name test participant is called Nebuchadnezzar de, pa de Pompomus. Oh, I still said it wrong. <laughs> de Pompomus? De Pompomus. Yeah, something about grapefruits. So that was Après Moi by Regina Spector. So, Louise. Yep. We had a conversation, obviously, before this to sort of get ready to plan this, this conversation and just sort of say hi for the first time, like, for this podcast. Um, <laughs> and you want to talk about something that I think is quite interesting because I take a completely <laughs> different opposite view to it. But you don't think that we can, we can teach testing. You think it's maybe something that's more like instinctual rather than taught is that true yeah i think it's it's partly a personality type in ways um so the company i work for um one of they te do personality tests and when we do any recruiting there's kind of certain parts on the specific tests that people tend to fall in if they end up working in well in development and in qa um, but mm -hmm. we look for people that are high on d which is high on detail focus um, I'm very low on optimism, <laughs> which I think very much helps my job. There's parts of my personality which I would see as negative traits that I use productively for my job. Like, uh, for example, my inane pedantry. Um, I am pedant by nature. It's, um, I think it's a, what is it, David Mitchell quote? Live by pedantry, die by pedantry. Um, <laughs> and some people I've barely spoken to are complete strangers. I will go, this is wrong. Hi, I don't mm. know you, but this is wrong. <laughs> right. But, but isn't something like ped pedantry, because I've heard that before, obviously, like testers, you know, we, we are pedants about the the truth of things and stuff, and it can be used 
against it sometimes. But isn't pedantry just like another term for having attention for detail? Yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> but I yeah. think a lot of people don't naturally have attention to detail. It's It drives me mad sometimes because mine is mm. so high. I will just, I will see, like the tweet the other day that was by the um, civil service um, that got properly deleted. The first thing I noticed about that tweet was their header was missing, a, had a double space in it. And it, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> yes, this, this is being recorded the day after our great and glorious leader has um, <laughs> yet again backed his senior advisor, but uh, enough about that. Yes. I'd, I'd say that there's, there's a few things though there which are interesting because like, Yes, some people have a stronger a stronger predilection towards uh, having attention to detail. But then to say, I, I think that it, it can still be taught. We can still bring attention to certain traits. So, for example, like another one that men gets mentioned a lot is like having empathy. Um, yeah. Empathetic people do make good testers, but it doesn't mean that people who are like who might be less empathetic can't use specific techniques that uh, trigger them to think in certain ways. So it's that it's like it's almost like a we're sort of talking about like the conscious and unconscious use of heuristics. So your experiences will dictate certain ways in which you react to stuff, um, and they're all like they're all your sort of mental models that are in your subconscious. But you could then still deliberately use something like well, I was talking about it this morning. Actually, it's interesting. But like you could deliberately use a technique or a mnemonic or a model or a perception, and then that can shift your focus. So it's a case of you know faking it until you're making it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's not that there's not, like, if you don't have high attention to detail, you'd be a terrible tester and no one can make you any better by, to, um, by training. Right? It's like there are people that are just kind of naturally good at it from the things that they um, fit their personality and just, yeah. I, I, I agree with you that definitely that there is this idea that, you know, you, ha you can have people who are more suited um, for certain roles. And I think you're right. Like if you naturally are more empathetic and you're naturally more, uh, more pedantic or more, more like more of a focus to detail, then you're going to sort of get into that groove. Um, but I guess, I guess the thing I was sort of like, I disagree with you about, but to be honest, my, my level of evidence to, to prove it is somewhat limited, but it's, it's a case of is that you can actually, like I say, it's that sort of faking it till you're making it um, idea is, is that by reflecting on like what makes a good tester, those who are maybe starting out in it or maybe looking for ways to improve it can actually look at like aids. I guess that's what I'm going for is that you can teach because you can actually provide aids. Yes, it's not going to be as natural and as instinctive and maybe not as deep and as nuanced as someone who has internalized those sort of attributes. But on the flip side, yeah, you can actually sort of help someone sort of go down that shift. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same as learning anything, I suppose. Um, if you learn how to do art, however much time you put into it, um, you can either be naturally good at it or it's going to take you a little bit longer, but eventually you'll get good at it or good at the level that you want to be. Um, it's like learning to code. Um, there's mm. there's every you spend as much time two people can spend two years learning to code and one person they're still well 
it's kind of a bit like the piano there's a person that's doing that's kicking out full symphonies and there's a guy that can still do chopsticks um yeah yeah it's and yeah i think it's um because i partly realized that i was kind of doing testing for years but i only knew it was a profession for like four and a half years and i've been doing it for four yeah. <laughs> i didn't know it was a thing yeah. if i knew it was a thing then i kind of would have um yeah i would have known to navigate towards it a bit better um it yeah. actually um made me do something last year that was again out of my comfort zone um because there was oh it was international women's day last year well and this year um but last year um our company wanted to do something for it um and i found out there was a local girls school that wasn't teaching it anymore mm -hmm. um it's complicated through my gym or something um and i felt quite passionately that they kind of needed to try and do that so i arranged to do a talk at their school um about testing um i brought well our project managers who's uh, wonderful she's one of my favorite people ever and um one of our female developers well we only have one female developer <laughs> and we're about we were above average um i think the uk average of female developers is five percent and we were on six with oh, wow. one with one out of 16 <laughs> 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 and um so mostly i just love that because i got to get them both to talk to this room full of girls that were listening to them about testing at, well I was talking about testing um, about developing and being project managers and how these are careers that not only are available to them but something that maybe should consider because it may be something that isn't on their radar because when I was young I, I wanted to be an archaeologist I wanted to be a mermaid first that's the first thing I ever wanted yeah. to be I wanted to be a mermaid a little Actually. bit out of scope <laughs> I, can't, I can't swim um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, um, well, teaching testing, maybe ra raising awareness about testing um, so people become more aware that it's a thing they can do. It just might yeah. be something that people don't consider. And I think that's it. That, like your own like experiences kind of fall into that, that idea of like mm. you were naturally developing testing skills, even though you weren't deliberately practicing testing skills. And that's why I feel everyone can be taught to test um, to some degree um, because there's because because we test we we do yeah. test but we do it in an unconscious manner um, and then you know some of us are naturally drawn to it more and then it maybe forms into something like an actual professional career um, but actually like you say like what I think is great is that bringing attention to those skills and that deliberate practice and actually going yes you know you know those empathetic skills those those being pedantic having that eye for detail um you know being someone who's good at planning stuff and being someone who's passionate or excited about learning those are the things that along with uh, deliberate practice and stuff you can actually then formalize into some sort of into some sort of career and i think it's like someone else who does that like i think it's awesome to go out there and actually sort of share that passion and say look you know this stuff can be this stuff can be useful for you in in a career that seems predominantly focused on the engineering side of stuff and not necessarily so focused on the people side yeah and other testers have been the best but i've gone only gone to two test bashes and um my favorite part of test bash is just meeting other testers it was my favorite part of external training as well external training obviously istqb and, and stuff like that is 
it's stuff you go to because it's it's helpful um but the most um useful part of it is meeting other testers learning how they test things and it gives you more ideas it makes you more creative it makes you a better tester other other testers make you a better tester in my opinion because <laughs> yeah. we all test differently we all have different backgrounds we all have different ways of looking at things um my team well we've got a manager who's been testing for years um and the rest of us haven't been testing as long but we all are different ways of looking at things and it's it really helps um creativity and it really helps um us find the stuff that's wrong basically because we all look yeah. at it differently yeah and that's it i think like ultimately it's all well and good saying whether you can or cannot teach um, yeah. testing i think that the wider question is is do you want to learn or yeah. like are you teaching someone who is who's open to that sort of stuff because it, it you know it, that all that deliberate practice or like honing those skills unconsciously it, it's all kind of moot if you're not really engaging in your industry or you know like you said before like going out and just trying new things and ex experiencing new things and that sort of stuff mm. as well yeah, I think it's part of kind of maybe what's the problem with the ISTQB because it's a technically kind of a cheap qualification that people can get. Um, I know that sometimes you get random people on the course who've just turned up for the exam because it's a qualification. They're not necessarily interested mm -hmm. in doing testing. Um, they just it, they think it will help them get a testing job. Um, and that's good if, if, you know, if they want a testing job at the end of the day. But, yeah, it can be a bit bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> there needs to be more doesn't there they're like that, yeah. that's that's a, it's a stepping stone but that is all mm. it is it's not it's not the be all and end all you still have to to progress in those ways and i and i would say actually like if that was if that was all your perception of your training of your personal development in testing then yeah then it's it's never going to reach everyone because you still have to graft on your own sort of personal experiences there but if you're not willing to let yourself grow personally as well then along with your deliberate knowledge as well it's it's just mm. again you're sort of stuck in that rut anyway i mean wow <laughs> that was like uh we, we we nearly both went into rant mode there <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> which was dangerous not at all i think we, we we did well to sort of rein one another in so yeah uh, good job um cool so uh let's let's take a pause and let's talk, talk about something totally awesome that we both yeah love uh but tell me about your fourth song first okay my fourth song is um by the decemberists which are possibly that probably must be one of my favorite bands um i love all their stuff um i went to see them last year um was it last year the year before um in london and it was just a wonderful gig at the Apollo it was beautiful um they had a live show with uh, that ended with a giant inflatable whale and them singing a sea shanty uh and it was just great fun um I worked with my husband they're our favorite band um and this particular song um reminds me of him quite a lot um Make You Better um by the Decemberists um it's on my favorite albums of theirs and it just reminds me of a point in my life where stuff just got better and stuff has been good since this point so um it always reminds me of a good start i think the first song on this album is like uh, the beginning song which works really well actually as well um mm. but yeah
was Make You Better by the Decemberists. So, yes, we've obviously, we've argued about something. <laughs> now let's, let's, let's Hopefully come together. Hopefully not argue about this. <laughs> let's not, no, let's, uh, let's share our passions about one thing that we both love, which is API testing. So, yeah, it, I love it. It's, uh, I don't know why I love it so much, but I do. I know, right? Um, I even love writing Jason. Yes, it's, oh, it's immensely satisfying. Unless it's like a massive JSON object. Um, but yeah, I, I do find it quite um, satisfying. And the fact that you've got those sort of, the kind of like set rules that set mm. nice boundaries for stuff. None of that sort of messy UI, the CSS selectors have gone missing again stuff. You know, it's it's either, it's, it's, it's a bit more black and white sometimes I find with HTTP. Yeah, it's and also just you know when you, you've been poking something for a bit and you get five hundred and you're like, haha, server error, sort this out, developers, please. Or just um, I'm trying to convince them to put a four eighteen in at the moment, just somewhere yeah. in the like internal API. Yeah, yeah, can we have a teapot in there? Whack a teapot in there um, because it's just yeah, I get such a nerd about HTTP codes as well. I'm just that one's not the right one, or um, yeah, it's got a little bit out of hand recently. So initially. Um, I've been testing for about API testing for about two and a half years but when I started I didn't know what I was looking at um, <laughs> I had post yeah. installed um, I basically put it in um, dark theme and then left it alone <laughs> developer <laughs> mode enabled <laughs> I couldn't work out what to do with it so I just used the swagger because the swagger was really easy to use um, it had the JSON examples for me already that I literally just had to put stuff in the quote marks and send it and mm. it would either give me what I was supposed to get because it's got the little examples at the bottom of the things you're supposed to get back yeah um, and yeah um, it turns out that I have actually looked at some soap as well because um, um, <laughs> yeah you know I may have repressed it um, I was just <laughs> <laughs> which is the thing I noticed because I listened to um, Hillary's asking anything recently on API testing mm. um, and I think someone had a question about soap the look on both Hillary and Vernon's face when someone's had a question about soap was just like, mm, that's everyone's face when someone mentions soap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can empathize with that. We've actually got a couple of soap calls in Postman and they were written by Madman, but they work as long as you don't, don't delete anything that's not in the little marks. It's fine. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so terrifying. So how did you transfer your skills from working with swagger where it obviously gives quite a lot of it to you on the like on a plate but then you mm. kind of have to transfer that over to postman like did you have to was it just sort of a natural progression or did you have to sort of spend some time again doing that deliberate practice thing of well what do these things actually mean and mm. transfer across so where i'd been using the api in swagger for well um probably two years before i started the new project I'm on now, which involves me having to use Postman quite a lot. Um, I knew how that swagger worked. I knew how it was supposed to behave and I knew how it connected to our um, main system um, because that's the product I know. Um, this new project we're on, um, it needs a full test suite. So I went from um, not knowing how to write tests in Postman um, to having like 70 requests all with three tests on them. Um, and I sort of learned how to write chai. It's more, my, my learning how to do things is mostly copy paste a thing that looks a little bit like the thing I need. 
and change it and keep sending it until it works. <laughs> so, so you're a professional software developer then, yeah? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like. Um, it, I, chai is really easy to read. Um, the only thing I usually come across is I've missed a bracket out somewhere, which is true mm. with Jason as well. And it's like, why is this bracket gone? That was the thing I had with Swagger. Because Swagger won't tell you that you've missed a bracket. Well, it will. It'll yeah. say bad request. But Postman will go, hey, look, this thing here. You've yeah. it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, the, the, the little um, uh, linting and validation stuff is very, very useful for those sort of little sneaky things that catch you out. Well, I've got to the point where I've got both open. Um, so if it's not sending it in Swagger, I'll copy and paste it into Postman and Postman will tell me I've gone wrong and I'll post it back because I oh, kind yes. of need to check the swagger works from a kind of physical perspective but also need to make sure you can still send stuff as well um because mm. we're building it internally for other parts of the business to use so yeah. the swagger itself needs to work properly um but also our postman tests need to be parameterized and also work in a pipeline kind of yeah oh, what's the word <laughs> yeah Pi pipeline process there we go too many peas. Yeah, I, I, Swagger is an interesting one um, because it is one foot in that sort of documentation space, but well, another foot in the development space, but then also it is a tool that allows you to do testing as well. And I think I, I've come across quite a few people actually who've started off in API testing with Swagger documentation because like you said, it just, it just eliminates, it just abstracts and eliminates all the sort of the tech noise and it allows you mm -hmm. to sort of hook in and like look at your variables, look at your parameters, start coming up with test ideas with them, um, which is really, that's where the testing's going on. It's just the rest of it is giving you more flexibility in how you modify things. Like if you want to do stuff like automation um, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, Swagger is an interesting one. And I, it's, it's always something I, I try and encourage people to mm. have put into their applications regardless, because it's always useful. It's got good training wheels. It's a good start. If you don't know what you're yeah. looking at, um, it just, it's just, you just need to fill the gaps in between the double quotes. Just do that. That's a good yeah. start. And then once that, you've worked out that that's what you're doing, then you can start applying your normal kind of testing processes to it because it's just another kind of testing at the end of the day. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's but, just, yeah, it, they're, they're the same values that you would see maybe in a form, then, but you're just seeing them in the actual HTTP request that's been sent, that's been extracted from the form, which is why I get very frustrated when I see people testing stuff via the UI, when it's actually, you're, you you could do that in an API call, and it'd be so much quicker. But also you've got to, I've got to appreciate the fact is that you do need some domain knowledge around that space. So yeah, I like the idea of training wheels. That's it. <laughs> well, let Swagger know. You can have that one for yeah. free, Swagger. Swagger, training wheels, and uh, uh, what is it? Swagger like Jagger is normally the thing. <laughs> so, you know, making it sound a bit cool. It's brightly coloured, yeah. good fun. Um, I've been doing, um, I'm not going to be able to say her name properly, uh, Alexander Schulerbex. Um, that's not how you say that. Reverse Casual Friday. And um, I yep. had a dress that kind of the colours matched Swagger a little bit. And one of the small commenters was like, do I have to dress to API test? I was like, no, I was just appreciating the colours matched. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, definitely showing your colours um, mm. in, that, in that sense. Next, you'll have to dress up in orange for Postman. Ugh, but orange is awful. Maybe just dark theme. I will wear grey today. Grey. I have dressed as all developer tools. <laughs> 
dark themes. Okay. The well, speaking of dark themes and mm-hmm. uh, dark brooding music, <laughs> what a connection. Um, why don't you tell us about your fifth song? Okay, so um, my fifth song is um, an acoustic version, uh, which I did make a big point of it being very important. Yes, the acoustic yes version. and it was noted. It was noted. Because yeah. I'm a pedant at all times. Um, <laughs> um, which is Change, brackets House of Flies, um, by Deftones. Um, I think this is originally on White Pony, um, but this particular version is on their B-Side and Rarity album, which has so many cool versions of their own songs, just acoustics. And this one is particularly nice and ghosty and a bit creepy. Um, it's another band that I haven't had a chance to see live, and I'd love to. Um, I think I started really enjoying the song because Queen of the Damned, which is an extremely yeah, terrible Queen film. Queen of the Damned. <laughs> I love film. that film. It's so terrible, but it's we're got a fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> we're obviously a similar age, aren't we? Because, uh, yes, it is a terrible film, but I remember it very fondly. It's it's just quite... I think it came out of the, when I was at an impressionable age, and it was just, oh, it's a vampire film. It's yeah. much better than... Um, well, Interview with Vampires has its place, but it's... This is good fun. Uh, it's all just gothy and it's got a great soundtrack. And it's just it's like this song particularly, it's quite haunting and mm. um, really cool. I really like the lyrics. It's just, yeah, I really like Deftones. They've got some really good songs um, and they're just one of my favourite bands. They're good for, they've got a good range as well. So if you're feeling like you need something shouty, they've got something shouty. If you want something kind of chilled, they've got that too. And yeah, I just really enjoy them. So that was the acoustic version of Change House of Flies by Deftones. Um, so unfortunately, that's all we have um, time for, for this podcast. But um, one last thing, you've obviously chosen your five songs, Louise, but what would be uh, your book that you want to take with you to the island? Uh, so I read a lot. I've read 36 books this year already. Um, uh, I read really fast. And yeah, um, it's not like I don't spend like an hour reading every day. But yeah, um, I as a child, I was quite morbid. I'm still quite morbid. Um, and this has been my favorite book since um, I was about 12, which is probably not great because it's Hannibal by uh, Thomas Harris. <laughs> quite a book to read at the age of 12. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, um, Hannibal Lecter is actually my favourite fictional character um, and has been since I've been way too young. Um, I think it's just because he's really freaking classy. Um, he's got a very skewed sense of the world, but he's got his rules and he sticks to them and um, he mostly just prefers to eat rude people, um, which, you know, rude people are kind of terrible. Um, so I agree with that. Um, the book itself has just got fantastic descriptions and settings. Um, it's set in Florence for a large portion of it and it's just beautiful. Uh, even the creepy, horrible, violent bits are really pretty. And the books in general, I've kind of learnt quite a lot of stuff from them. Um, which is also added to my pedantry as well. Um, there's a bit in one of them about Roman numerals, about how most clocks have four I's instead of IV for the symmetry. 
Um, and so no. clocks that don't that have the four eyes make me really angry because it's technically wrong. <laughs> And it makes you want to eat people for it? No. no. (laughs) (laughs) I just understand why Hannibal might want to eat people. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. Just have those days. All right. Excellent. Right, well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and um, really fun talking about, (laughs) um, like, like just talking about API testing and just getting to know you a bit more, really. and also going down a little bit of personal memory lane as we've just realized that we're similar ages and have had (laughs) similar formative years, musically speaking. Um, uh, So yeah, uh, that's unfortunately all we have for this podcast. If you want to um, check out any of Louise's uh, picks, they are all going to be added to our Spotify playlist, um, which you can find on Spotify, surprisingly. Controversially. Um, controversially, <laughs> yes. Um, and also we will add the Hannibal book to the Goodreads list. Um, so I've just realized I've completely forgotten to ask you about how to get in touch with you. Um, oh, that's all right. Uh, Twitter, I tweet like a mad person. I love Twitter. Twitter is awesome. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best place to get hold of me. I don't have a blog, Um uh, I keep meaning to do something like that, but no. Uh, obviously LinkedIn, but that's a bit weird and slightly, yeah. Corporate. I suppose it's work-related. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Twitter, yeah. I do tweet about testing quite a lot. I'll usually be um, layering some off, someone off about a bug that I found in their thing. Usually mm-hmm. Spotify, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> cool. um, but yeah. Yeah. And, it, well, I guess really things are still quite locked down but have you got anything sort of upcoming testing wise that you're looking forward to or any events or anything um we were supposed to go to test bash brighton this year um but obviously that got binned Sad off like panda. literally like if it was a couple of weeks beforehand we could have gone and it would have been the best yeah, tell me about it. um but hopefully next year um basically our, i think our ticket is valid till like next june anyway so whenever there's mm-hmm. one i'm probably gonna go to it even if it's in somewhere up north um when we're allowed to go anywhere ever again <laughs> yeah well it, it's, as soon as we can we will be back i know that for sure because um yeah we're definitely missing it we're all we're all jones in for a good test bash that's for sure yeah they're although, just... although home scratched the itch they definitely definitely scratched the itch yeah no i meant to do that but obviously work has been super busy and um mm. Obviously, when you go to a physical testing conference, you take time out of your workday and go there. Um, but mm. when it's kind of at home and you're still supposed to be working, it's kind of a bit, yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah, a bit awkward. <laughs> but yeah, um, are you guys planning on doing any more of those? Or uh, well, you know, I don't know what I can say and what I can't ah. say, which makes it sound like really secretive. But it's more a case of I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> Because my focus is on the dojo and getting all the courses set up and stuff. So, but I'm I'm sure I'm sure like as soon as things return to whatever normal is going to be in the future, um, we will be back because uh, we miss everyone. Yeah, the, yeah, I miss all the mm. other testers. I mean, I talk to them all on Twitter quite a lot, but um, yeah. Cool. Well, as I said, Louise, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, chatting with you and um, yeah hopefully our paths will cross again in in person and um, all that's really left for me to say is uh, goodbye and goodbye from Louise goodbye (laughs) Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing written and produced by Mark Winteringham 
created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. <laughs>